Welcome back to another edition of the Producers Podcast here on DenverSports.com. We want to thank DenverSports.com for providing the service for us to be able to have this podcast. You can also catch this episode and all of our other episodes of the Producers Podcast in the Denver Sports app. Just literally go to your Google Store or go to your Apple Store and type in Denver Sports and it will pop up. It will be Denver Sports slash 104.3 The Fan. As we are getting into what will be a very Broncos-heavy episode, I just want to say, first and foremost, John, the producer of Schlereton Evans and the Players Club on 104.3 The Fan. How you doing, my guy? Good, man. I'm good. Feeling refreshed after a nice uh, three-day weekend. Um, I was feeling sick the first two days, but um, they say, you know, when you're feeling sick, the best thing is to get good rest, and I don't get good rest during the week, so it was nice <laughs> to have two days to just kind of chill out, um, lay my bed rest up, and then have that extra day to just kind of, you know, catch some sun. It was actually, I think, I don't know about for or Saturday and Sunday, but yesterday was gorgeous out. Oh, yeah. Um, so I spent a lot of time out in the sun, um, just kind of hanging out. Uh, walking my dog, stuff like that. So I tried to spend as much time outside yesterday as I did, or as I could, um, which is nice. So, but feeling refreshed, feeling recharged, and, you know, feeling uh, extra motivated since, you know, yeah, it's going to be a big Broncos episode, but we don't, you know, haven't gotten a lot of Broncos information or, you know, news with uh, the new Sean Payton regime. And uh, But we've had the Nuggets, and so now that yeah. we finally know the finals – matchup that's like a it just kind of resets like the uh the end the excitement and stuff um because we thought we would know you know pretty quickly after uh boston went down zero three but uh it's just like it's nice to finally know who the opponent is and getting ready for a finals run man ah man it's, it's gonna be a blast um uh, this finals run just it feels different it feels magical it feels it just feels like one of those runs that was created specifically for the Denver Nuggets. And you can just kind of tell when it's their year and when it feels like their year, there have been a lot of things that have worked in their favor. And I think we would both agree when we say everything has led up to this moment where the Nuggets understand that they control their own destiny right here yep. in the NBA Finals. It feels like, like identical to last year, right? With, oh, the, with the Avs run. And maybe even more so um, – and, you know, you'll hear it on the station probably throughout the day because um, it doesn't take, you know, an expert to watch the game last night and really just watch the series as the Eastern Conference Finals unfolded and just look at every game and be like, the Nuggets are outmatched both of these teams by a pretty significant amount. Like, it's pretty telling that the Nuggets are just more talented and just a better team than uh, either of the two teams that were left. Uh, before Miami eliminated Boston last night. Right, and I think that's really what it came down to, is you could feel that the Nuggets were catching a stride that says we're better than every other team in the NBA, and there's no one that literally could stop the Denver Nuggets. And I think, no disrespect to either team, between the Celtics and the Heat, I think they're both great teams coming out of the East. And obviously Miami went on to win that series. But I think the Nuggets looked at both teams and said, there's nothing that they can do to stop us. We have things that we right. can do to stop them. I think just for both those two teams, too, their their flaws 
are more pronounced and easier to kind of like put your finger on Absolutely. when it comes to both those Eastern Conference teams where with the Nuggets, you kind of have to dig a little more right? Um, and get a little more nuanced with um, with their, you know, their uh, flaws or, you know, uh, negative things in their game. I guess you can overall say their defense, but really with the Nuggets, they've had one of the, I think like one of the top three, if not the top defense in the playoffs. Oh, and with sure. the Nuggets, really all it's been with defense is just like want to. And that's really just defense in the NBA, to be honest with you. It's just like wanting to compete on that end of the floor, um, which especially with Michael Malone, it's like kind of a broken record or kind of a joke around here. You know, he's always going to complain about the defense, but, mm-hmm. you know, he's done that all season long, but he hasn't had to do that at all in the playoffs. So Not at all. I think defensive effort, I think he, he understands that he's going to get that from his group time and time again. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were moments and lapses in the Phoenix Suns series sure. that probably yeah. could have concerned you, but the Nuggets responded. Yeah, They looked at each other and they said, you know what, enough of this crap. We're going to put all of this stuff to the side, all of this Devin Booker, all of this Kevin right. Durant stuff. We're going to put it to the side, and we're going to focus on our game. And I think the Nuggets, they identified that in this playoffs, you know, to that point. They recognize that when they focus on their game, no matter how ugly the win is, they have what it takes to overcome the odds. And I think that's kind of what – that's a key factor. Like a lot of people talk about you need a little bit of luck, but you need to overcome the odds because sure, sometimes yeah. they're going to be stacked against you. Still got to win the games. Got to win right? the games. Like, and you don't know, like literally Phoenix should have been a sweep if Devin Booker just didn't go crazy for those two games. Like that's the only reason why Phoenix won those two games. And I think um, you touched on something pretty significant. It's like, and I can't really say that I watch like uh, teams out of market that are making a championship run, obviously as close as like, you know, the Nuggets or the Avs. But when it, when, especially the last two years with the Nuggets and Avs specifically, it's been like, we don't really care. Like, obviously, you make, like, adjustments in-game. Right. And you just kind of take you with the flow of the game. But ultimately, like, the the broad blanket ideology of, like, we're just going to play our game. And as long as we stay within the confines of, like, what our identity is as a team, we'll be all right. Like, we're going to win four games out of uh, seven. Like, that's just how it's going to go. Whereas, like, you know, teams with the Heat... Or the Celtics, like again, they have those those glaring flaws where they're gonna have to like, okay, you know, maybe we'll be inconsistent in this area. So we need to make sure that we emphasize this part of our game. Like for last night, for example, neither team could hit a shot, right. but the reason why Miami was able to pull away where they, they were hitting threes, Boston wasn't, but then Boston is so poorly coached. That they didn't make any adjustments. They just kept At shooting. All. They just kept shooting threes and hoping that it, their fortunes would change. And with the Nuggets, they just play such a better team offense, um, especially for the NBA. But I think for in NBA standards, like this Nuggets team is as close to flawless is a bit of a stretch, but without glaring weaknesses or flaws within their end, like their team game, yeah, it's as close to you know ideal or perfect as you would draw it up as you can get. I couldn't have said it better myself because the truth of the matter is the Denver Nuggets, I, I know a lot of people talk about, oh, yo, Kitchy doesn't play defense. The man is an absolute monster on the defensive glass, all right? Yeah, yeah. That counts for something. 
And not to mention, nobody talks about the fact that for a period of time, Jokic averaged almost two steals a game. I think that has to be accounted for something. He doesn't turn the ball over often, which means that transition defense, the the Nuggets, when they get caught lacking in transition sometimes, it's because I think from time to time, they even they find themselves kind of like shocked, like, oh, like we really just turned the ball over. Like, that's how disciplined this team is on both sides of the ball. So, John, you hit the nail right on the head. There isn't necessarily a glaring weakness. And I think that's one thing that really puts the Nuggets in kind of like their own tier right now. Right. And I know – They're head and shoulders better than any team in the playoffs. Exactly. And I know the national narrative isn't going to always be how great are the Denver Nuggets really. But I think at the end of the day, as long as we're answering that question here in town, that's all that matters because – this is our championship run. Yeah, this is sure. what it, this means more to us than it ever will to anybody outside of the state of Colorado, and that's more than fine because I believe that the Denver Nuggets understand what's on the other side of this championship, and it's not about just winning one for the Denver Nuggets, but it's about winning one for the Denver community and all of the doubt and all of the hate and all of the crap that they've had to endure over the years right. and and nug life. Yeah. You know, that's been a thing around here. I think for this team specifically, too, they're like, I think I heard D-Max say it, and it was, I thought it was well worded, and it was like, the the Avalanche last year were kind of like starting their run, where the Nuggets are kind of in a unique position. They're like in the middle of their run. They've just lost two years, basically three because of COVID and because of the Jamal Murray injury. Right. And then Michael Porter Jr. being injured and stuff like that, too. So they're kind of, like, in the middle. They're, like, at their, like, you know, peak of their run where um, that's just not as most traditional teams are. And I think that's why you see the Nuggets so much better than anyone else. And I know we get on the national media a lot, deservingly so, because they're lazy. But the the reason for why it's not—I wouldn't excuse them. But I think the reason why the national media just doesn't know about the Nuggets is because you just can't turn the Nuggets game on for even a series or two. Like you, I don't think maybe if you started watching like every single game from the Timberwolves series on, you can understand it. But like the Nuggets are like a long, like a drawn out like, uh, uh, like observation. Yes. Like you have to see them long term to really understand why they are so good. Because a lot of people be like, oh, well, they facilitate through Joker and they just play really high efficiency offense and they get lucky. They're just on a run making all these threes. And it's a lot more nuanced to that than what, you know, what I just kind of laid out. The pick and roll, the two man game is big uh, with with the Nuggets, but the best it's not game just but it's not just Jamal and Jokic. Right. And the fact that and I don't think this is talked about nearly enough, and I hope it is this finals, and I'm I'm hoping that who is it the ESPN crew that has it? Yeah. Um so maybe Jeff Van Gundy will talk about it. He'd be the only one to talk about it. But Jamal Murray's ability to play the pick player. So when he's yeah. picking for Joker is like one of the more underrated things I think on this team. It's like Jamal's ability to lay a like reliable pick and then pop or roll off of that or create space for Joker is, like, supremely underrated. And I think that's a big part of their success. And then, as well as, like, they can run the pick and roll with Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. If he's rolling it with MPJ. Like, they can they can literally do Bruce Brown, KCP. They can play pick and roll, the two-man game, with literally 
any kind of matchup as long as it's like Murray and someone else, Jokic and someone else, something like that. I, I agree. And you kind of talked about people that could speak well of the Nuggets and properly execute and explain how the Nuggets are able to manipulate different matchups in regards to picking roles, uh, cutting back door. I hope ESPN does justice to the Nuggets by giving J.J. Redick a bigger role here because Mm. the truth of the matter is he knows more about the Nuggets probably more than anybody else outside of Zach Lowe. Like, I think Zach Lowe probably – actively watches and seeks to care about watching the Nuggets. Yeah. Um, I remember he was like advocating for the Nuggets to be like championship contenders. I think it was it might have been before the beginning of last season. Yeah. And he Zach Lowe's always been that guy who he's, he doesn't get a lot of great, like man. and he hasn't been I don't think he's necessarily been a soapbox guy for the Nuggets, but he's just been kind of like a Hey, here's a dark horse team, and he's like, I don't know why this is. This shouldn't be a dark horse team, but that's no. just the label of the subject. But the Denver Nuggets, and then he'd go on a long, detailed uh, discussion about the Nuggets. But I'd agree with that. And maybe I was thinking maybe the reason why, because I know JJ had um, a couple second round games. I think in the Eastern Conference when ESPN had him, but uh, I was thinking he's probably wasn't as like involved in the Western Conference Finals because he was in. He was rumored to possibly be the Raptors' next head coach. I don't yes. know if he interviewed for the 76ers, but I know he interviewed, or at least I think the wording was they were con- they were like thinking about potentially interviewing him. Yeah, I don't know if he actually were, had an interview. Unquote, in communication. Yeah, so I don't know if like they necessarily wanted to have JJ or could have him on. Maybe he was just too busy, you know, during the Western Conference Finals. So. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think that's a good point. Hopefully, we see him more in the finals. Yeah, hopefully so, and we'll see what ESPN does as far as coverage. You talked about dark horse, and you talked about the essence of what dark horse could mean, um, not just for the Denver Nuggets, but I think let's talk about Denver as a whole, and we'll switch this over to the Denver Broncos because uh, uh, there are a lot of things that I think have kind of turned into what we call dark horse for the Denver Broncos. What what should be the expectations. What are they? What do? What do? What, what? What can you say? Like as far as free agency, how do you feel about it? I mean, it's a lot of little things that comes with the Denver Broncos that a lot of people can and can't talk about. But right. one thing we we will focus on is PFF recently came out with a list of the top thirty two quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and I am just I am blown away by this list because. They're talking about it from the perspective of, okay, here are the top 32 quarterbacks heading into the 2023 season. And I kind of get where they're coming from with this list. Um, But still, I I, I, I am a little conflicted. And so I'll just quickly run through the list before we get to uh, Denver Broncos starting quarterback Russell Wilson. Number one, Patrick Mahomes, of course. Mm. Two, Josh Allen. Three, Joe Burrow. That's debatable. I flipped those here. Yeah. Right. Uh, four, Justin Herbert. <laughs> Shocked. Five, Aaron Rodgers. Six, Lamar Jackson. Seven, Jalen Hurts. Eight, Trevor Lawrence. Nine, Kirk Cousins. Ten, Dak Prescott. Eleven, Tua Tagovailoa. Twelve, Matthew Stafford. Thirteen, Deshaun Watson. Fourteen, Derek Carr. Fifteen, Geno Smith. 16, Jared Goff, 17, Daniel Jones, 18, Justin Fields, 19, Ryan Tannehill, and 20, Russell Wilson. 
Why I think that's interesting is because there are several quarterbacks on that list that I know without the shadow of a doubt Russell Wilson is going to run laps around them this year. So I'm going to set the argument up in the conversation up this way. Sean Payton is not going to have an offense where it was catered around Drew Brees and he's throwing the ball around right. the yard 60 times a game and he's shooting for 6,000 yards a season. This isn't that type of offense anymore. This is going to be a very efficient offense where Russ is probably going to max out at 3,500 yards per season and is going to be close to a combined total of 22, maybe 2,300 yards on the ground because I think he really wants to lean into the running game. And he he understands that the running game feeds the passing game because if you can draw them in, then that's one less safety that you have mm-hmm. to worry about. So there's a lot of manipulating. But when we talk about what, what Sean Payton is going to be able to get out of Russell Wilson, why do you think the narrative is that Russell Wilson heading into the season won't be as impressive as we know that he ultimately will be because of how Sean Payton's going to use him. Because he sucked last year. Because <laughs> he was awful last year. He was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year. And, you know, you can say how much or, you know, how much Hackett had to do with it. Russ was just awful last year. He looked like he didn't know how to play the quarterback position. He was exposed on, you know, multitude of levels. So I think that's the main reason why. And I think with... This Broncos team is super interesting because I like what they did in free agency um, for what they could do. But I still don't think this team is complete enough to make the playoffs. Maybe they win eight games, but, oh, man, it's really hard. for. I'd have to, like, strain my brain to get to nine wins. <laughs> um, just And, be, and it's, not, it's not any – it's not, like – I just don't I don't feel strongly about this roster either way. I just know it's like not when I look at that roster, it's like that doesn't jump out to me as like, oh, that's a playoff roster. Or right. like, oh, this is a four win roster. What are we doing? You know, it's not it's just kind of like a it's just an average NFL roster. It is. It has its holes and, you know, injuries are gonna happen and I think our depth is kind of lacking. But when it comes to Sean Payton, I can I see the it's hard to put numbers on anything, but I think when we when you watch Bronco games, it's going to be a relief that we look competitive again in more games than we're not. There's going to be that, you know, that game where it's just like you know, we we lose by maybe 10 or 13 by the end of it, but right. it maybe didn't feel that way. Um and I think it's just going to be kind of one of those seasons where there's enough to build upon and you're going to look and be like, "Whoa, Russ only had 3,700 passing yards and 22 touchdowns, but it felt better than that. Right. Your eyes told you, like, it looked a lot better, but the numbers may um, look lesser when if you just, like, box, uh, if you just, like, looked at the box source and stuff like that. Because I think what Sean Payton is going to do, and you said it, is he's just going to manipulate. He's just going to have a you know have a game plan but I think you're just going to see from week to week it's going to vary yep. and like even you know from the first 15 plays of the game to the last 30 plays of the game might be drastically different or they might be identical it's just going to be like what works in a given week and but the wheels can fall off really quickly cuz everyone assumes we're going to lean on the run game but 
to me, the running back is one of the biggest question marks on this team because I love the P. Ryan signing. Love it. Is he a workhorse? Fantastic. No. Is Javante going to be healthy at the beginning of the season? Hell no. Not in my opinion. <laughs> like, I, I, I love the optimism. I And I don't hate the idea. I am kind of like a... I'm kind of like a, you know, wrap them in bubble wrap, I guess, kind of guy. But when it comes to Javante, I'm like, bro, until you are 100% healthy, I don't want you coming back. Because yeah. he doesn't have, he doesn't have breakaway speed. He just, he looks for contact and he looks to punish people. Which, you know, a healthy Javante and Sean Payton's offense, I would love. Because he's just going to bruise people. You know, it's kind of like Jokic in the post. He's just going to wear you out until, you know, you're on, you're uh, DeAndre Ayton. And you're tapping out of game six because you hurt, you're bruised, you're beaten. Right. So I just, I don't like the depth at running back. I guess it's a concern of mine because I don't do Javante. Like, if he's starting week one, it's just like, what are we doing here? Like, the human body can only, Man. you're not Adrian Peterson, bro. Nobody is. No. You can't expect that same kind of result. So um, I'm just a little worried about the depth at the running back position unless Sean Payton is just like, Sees that as a challenge, be like, yeah, everyone thinks we're going to be run heavy. We'll watch this. We're not going to be run heavy. Mm. We're going to be pass heavy. But, again, it's going to be like just chipping away at the offense. You know, Russ is yep. throwing for, you know, five, six, eight, twenty-five. You know, that's kind oh, of yeah. like the offense is you're setting up with the short passing game, then you hit them over the top. Yeah, because to your point, that's exactly how it was with the New Orleans Saints is a lot of it was Drew Brees kind of picking his spots, 18, 12 here, yep. and then – He'll get you with the bomb. And it's going to look good when it works. But I just don't know how well or how consistently it's going to work because I don't know if we have the pieces on offense quite good enough to execute at that consistent and high of a level. You see what I'm saying? So Absolutely. Like you, you, I think we'll be watching games be like, man, love the design. Execution just isn't consistent enough. Right. And it's because we just don't have the talent to do so. No, and I think – we talked about it going, uh, you know, throughout the well, not us, but as a station, should I say, uh, at one hundred four three the fan. We talked about it throughout the off season. The Broncos have a top two highest paid wide receiver room. Yeah, and that room has That's a not problem. produced. Man, yeah. that is an that's a huge issue. And don't get me wrong, I know Sean Payton and Russell Wilson are going to put them in position to succeed. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But it just it just kills me right. because it's just like gosh like it's like the philosophical it's like the ideology of like paying that much money yeah, to a room because the wide receivers like, are almost like turning into running backs they they're are almost now. coming a dime a dozen especially out of college now so like you know and it's and I think and I really think and I hated it when it happened but the you just continue to look back. I don't care. I don't think it's hindsight twenty twenty, especially with even with the injury to Tim Patrick. But just paying Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton just doesn't make any Man. sense in any any world. No, not at all. And I, it, you hate that they both got injured the way that they did. And I get what George Payton was trying to do. He was trying to get ahead of the I market, don't. and so I, I get it. But now you're so behind the eight ball because. No one wants those guys. Like, if it's not for a seventh round pick, yeah, you can't trade them. You're not trading them. Yeah. So, the Broncos are screwed. They are screwed. And I think, as far as Russell Wilson is concerned, his question now becomes: 
how do I get the most out of this offense? And how do I put this offense in a position to where they can succeed week in and week out? And I don't be considered a liability. Mm. Because everyone knows that last year was not his best season. But when you don't have the requisite weapons, it's like, okay, where what, where do I turn? And, of course, you have Jerry Judy. And you talked about Javante Williams and some IJP Ryan. Well, right. those are, like, legit weapons. But, like, where else is the production going to come from? Right. And that's going to constantly be the question. Well, and I think, too, is just, like, it's is – it, I mean, you can't fully ignore what happened last year. But then, like, the, the questions, and that's what's so frustrating, I think, for Broncos country until we see it a month, a month and a half into the season is, like, what of last year was real – and what of it was just, like, a product of the dysfunction? Like, was right. Russ looking so lost in the pocket? Was that real? Or was that part of the dysfunction? Mm. Was Russ seemingly lo- losing a step and a half real? Or was that part of the dysfunction? There's so many parts and small nuances to Russ's game that made Russ great yeah. that you wonder, like, was it real? Or was it part of the dysfunction? Right. And we just won't know until, you know, we get a healthy sample size in 2023. Yeah, no, you're right. So, I mean, we talk about him being ranked 20th on the PFL. Are there any list. any quarterbacks on that list that you would, A, move uh, to, like, a better spot or that Russ is better than altogether? Um, I think Russ it will have a better season than Ryan Tannehill. What about right now, though? Right so, now. Yeah, so if it's, like, all, like, health, you know, health is fine. You, like, got to draft out of these quarterbacks. Anyone? I mean, Justin Fields is not better than Russell Wilson. No, I'll just say that first. More. No, then, not, not uh, right now. Daniel Jones. Oh man, Daniel Jones. No, I wouldn't put. I don't nope. think Daniel Jones no. is much. Daniel Jones was just a pro. Daniel Jones is kind of what we hope Russ is this year. Is like just a product of the system. It's just <laughs> like you don't get any say. You know, you don't. You don't really check at the line. You just go in there. And you just play the offense to a T. You follow the script. That's kind of the vibe I get when it seems like what we expect from Russ. Now, I think he's a little better than that. I think he's a little more athletic than Danny Dines. But you saw, I think Daniel Jones is like the perfect example of, you know, a quarterback having a coach and a coaching staff that's veteran to build around him, to put himself in the best uh, position to succeed and then building confidence as time goes on, and then seeing what that confidence can do for a quarterback. It's like, wow, Danny, like this dude can actually <laughs> throw a foot. Like he's right. actually good at football. So imagine that, you know, but Russell Wilson. So, no, I, I would agree with that. I mean, between Daniel Jones, I don't know. So Derek Carr is ranked 14, and he's now the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. I think, I think to, that's about right. To, I would say so. Gosh. I would think to me, to me, Russell Wilson's floor is about where Derek Carr will be this season. I think that will be Russell Wilson's floor. Mm. His ceiling, if something goes off the rails, could be as high as Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins will have probably a great season numbers-wise because they have nothing to lose. Right. Like, everyone pretty much is leaning towards Detroit winning the division. But Minnesota's offense is going to be catered around how much can Cousins get the ball around the yard because 
with a disgruntled Dalvin Cook. Mm. I mean, you're pretty that that is that's over now. Oh, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's he's still in Minnesota. Okay, okay, he, he okay. So I just wanted to make sure. So with a, with a disgruntled Dalvin Cook, I think you're going to lean on Kirk Cousins a lot more than you should. Yeah, for sure. You could say the same thing about Russell Wilson because the truth of the matter is, if something bad happens to Javante where he gets re-injured or re-aggravate something, yeah. or Samaj P. Ryan is out for an extended period yeah. of time, are in a bad man, space. you're in a bad spot, man. You didn't, re- you weren't able to resign uh, Latavius Murray, and you're not going to lean on some rookie running back. So now you're hoping that the waiver wire works out in your favor, right? Or that you can trade and flip a seventh round pick for right. some, you know, third string right. running back Just on someone else's roster work. or something. Yeah. Like that's kind of where things could get a little tricky for the Broncos. So when I talk about the ceiling of what Russell Wilson season could be, it could be as high as Kirk Cousins. Or it could be as low as Derek Carr, but it won't be any lower than Derek Carr to me because I know at the end of the day, Russell Wilson is probably going to have a little bit more of an efficient season than Derek Carr. And I think a lot of that will play in, in large part to he won't have to force anything. Sean Payton will put him in positions to where it's either this or that. Don't you have, don't overthink it. Well, don't feel like you have to make your, your he's ninth. Okay, I was gonna say he's nine. So you think nine to fourteen? Yeah, nine is where to fourteen is about the range where I think Russ will be. And if we can get that out of Russ, that's yeah, a good season. That's a, w, that's a really yeah. good season. Yeah. I was gonna say like eight to eighteen. Okay, um, and I think eighteen just being again, he has like a thirty five hundred. Like it's just like it's kind of like the Nuggets thing. Like you don't watch a lot of the Broncos, and you just be like, yeah, when I watch Russ, so he doesn't pop. He doesn't. Oh yeah. You know he doesn't have those like twenty five yard passes, but he's efficient. Right. You know, and that's kind of why Derek Carr is like everyone's like, oh, he's a top ten quarterback, which I believe. You know, I don't know if he will be anymore, but you know, he was a top ten quarterback in my mind for a while. Right. You know, and so he's just a wake up, throw four thousand yards. You know, he gets out of bed, throws four thousand yards, and twenty five plus yard uh, touchdowns a season, just like. What you want a quarterback? He doesn't throw a lot of picks. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He doesn't have a lot of weapons. He's just a good, solid quarterback. He's a good, solid. Quarterback. And so that's I could see them kind of docking Russ for that. It's just like being consistent but not flashy, because um, we know Flash gets you know gets those rankings high. So I would say anywhere from eight to eighteen, and I would think yeah, like you know I actually think that's really cool that Trevor Lawrence made it in the top ten. Yeah, because Trevor Lawrence, you know, I was watching pretty closely. I was watching the Jags pretty closely last year. Um, just because they were that team. Oh, yeah. They are like, kind of like the Broncos. Insert, like, once the Broncos was like, oh, this is a dumpster fire. <laughs> it's like, you know, you try to pick those lower echelon teams that yeah. are kind of fun and exciting to watch. And, like, that Trevor Lawrence and Marvin Jones, that connection is pretty insane. And then Ooh. they have, um, uh, who's that? I don't even know if Marvin got, Jones is there anymore, actually. Uh, he might have left. Um, I think he's still But there. it's uh, Christian Kirk just went bananas. Last year as well for the Jacks. So. Yeah, and their third receiver Zay Jones, he definitely stepped up. Yeah, as he's well. a dude. So it was nice to. It was. It's kind of cool to see Trevor Lawrence um, in the top ten, and I would think that would be a perfect um, area to throw Russ in. Is at eight to eight to eighteen for sure. So yeah, and just to confirm what you said, Marvin Jones did leave. He's with the Detroit Lions. Oh, he went so, back to Detroit. Yeah, yeah so. he was solid, man. He was really. He was like a really solid receiver for them last year. Just that. He would just, you know, he he's lost a lot of his speed, but he's just like, um, God, who's he? Who's he? A good comp to? He's just like, if it's like anywhere within his, you know, area 
of his like circumference of his grab zone, he's just gonna pull it in. Dude just like has sticky hands, so he does. He was really good for them last. He's year. a solid receiver, but I kind of always knew that it was going to end up being that way. They were going to figure out something because Christian Kirk and Zay Jones they really emerged last year, and then Evan Ingram is kind of like um he's the modern day version of like Jimmy Graham. Like mm. that's that's the level of Jimmy tight end light he is. Diet Jimmy yes, because like, people don't re- Jimmy Graham in his like first eight years could have retired and probably been a first ballot Hall of Famer. A lot of people forget that. I agree, and to this, this day I still catching, say he should have. <laughs> he should he should be a Hall of Famer. I I agree, but it's like it's almost for him playing so much longer because I almost it almost feels like he played longer outside of New Orleans than in New Orleans, and he didn't do jack outside of New Orleans. So that, like, almost, it's like he's not even thought of as a Hall of Famer. It's like, dude, you remember prime Jimmy Graham. That dude was hauling in, like, easy 1,000 yards and easy, you know, 10-plus touchdowns a year. Like, the dude was a baller. 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 Like, easily the, like, a top two. And this is still, like, oh, man, I don't even know if, no, I don't think Antonio Gates and stuff was still relevant, but this was still like during prime Gronk and stuff. And he was, you know, it was like Gronk won it and then Jimmy Graham won it. Yeah. So that's, uh, I don't know if I'd put Evan Ingram there just yet, but he was a dude who like had, a, you know, who benefited from a new change of scenery. And Doug yeah. Peterson has just proven himself to be a pretty, Pretty damn good offensive well, line. I, yeah, I, I should have rephrased that. I wasn't saying Evan Ingram was like Jimmy Graham. Just I guess I was saying like, like him. Yeah, in in the context of that offense, because oh, okay, I got you. When Trevor Lawrence needed someone to get it open, or he needed a third down playmate, Evan Ingram was there. Yeah. every single time. He's fast, man. He's that's awesome. like the one thing he like. That's the only thing he could do in New York was be fast, but they couldn't scheme him open. And he would drop the ball all the time. Yeah, it was it was it was a weird fit there. And but, sometimes that's just how franchises are. Like yep. the Jets, I think the Jets are going to be awful this year. And by awful, oh, I mean like wow. eight and nine. Okay, because like the expectation, it's going to be like Russ. You're telling me the same dude <laughs> who is responsible for the dumpster <laughs> fire here is going to go to New York, and it's not going to repeat itself. Nathaniel Hackett is trash, man. Like, don't and don't get me wrong, because I've been one to, and we were kind of talking before the show. I have buddies in Louisiana, and they, um, they, you know, they're obsessed with sports too. And so, a lot of the times, we'll like sit in Discord together and watch games or whatever. And so they would, they would just like crap all over Nathaniel Hackett, rightfully so. But I would always go to bat and be like, it's it is Nathaniel Hackett, and it starts with Nathaniel Hackett. But, bro, Russ ain't doing any favors for that offense either. Like, this man is just, like, lost. Like, he can't cerebrally play the quarterback position. He's just not built like that. He's he's missing open targets. He's, you know, he's making bad reads. So, it's on Russ, too. But, like, you can't tell me that that same dude who's responsible for that dumpster fire here Mm. is just going to change markets, go to a bigger market, and it's just like gonna be okay because he's going back to a dude who he used to drink beer and throw darts with in Green Bay. Like, what are we doing, man? 
So I'm I'm not big on the Jets at all. Uh, hey, I'm not. That defense is for real though. I love I like that defense. I've lo- I thought Quinn and Williams coming out of that draft in 2018, 2019, somewhere around there. Yeah, somewhere that he there, was the best player in the dra- that draft. I was Quinn Williams is a monster. Dude, that defense is for real. And Robert Sala is a good defensive coordinator. That's it. That's Robert Sala ain't a good head coach. No. And so that team. If it gets bad with that team, it's going to sink quickly. Man. With the narcissist, that's Aaron Rodgers. With the offensive coordinator, doesn't know what the hell he's doing in Nathaniel Hackett. And the New York media, that place is going to crumble. Imagine a world where Rodgers goes there for one year and then retires. That one shocked me. I mean, me. it wouldn't shock me, but, dude, Green Bay would far and away win that trade because – in the long term, no matter that. what Jordan Love becomes, they still have another first round pick next year. Yeah. So Green Bay will still have two first round picks. Right. So if Jordan Love has a great year, great. But if he doesn't, package that, package your two second round picks, go up and go get Kayla Weed. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I mean, they're good. I uh, <laughs> I didn't watch because he started what two games last year? Jordan Love uh, did, or one. was it just one? Just one. So I know I didn't watch that game. I just I remember very vividly. I just like for whatever reason, there are other maybe like bigger marquee games on. I didn't really watch the Packers a lot last year anyway. I wasn't big on them the last two years. The last two years actually in my like friend pool, I picked them to miss the playoffs. Mm. I was super off two years ago, but was on yeah. point last year. Um, so basically, just a year off and how I see it because I just thought that team was going to. Well, I, I watched that game against Kansas City, and I think. What I got out of that game ultimately was Jordan Love is kind of going to be like Drew Locke in regards to he's going to be a solid backup. If you need him to See, come in yeah, there that's and, kinda... and make a couple of decent plays, he can do that for you. I don't think he'll ever be the guy that will be able to take you up and down the field, win game-winning drives, lead you to Super Bowls. But I, 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 don't, right. I don't think any of that is in his future. And there's no disrespect to him. I just think that he has to understand that his calling card is – I can be a decent backup quarterback. He kept them in that game for the longest in Kansas City. But Wasn't it really like low scoring? It was super low scoring. I think it was like thirteen and nine, something yeah, crazy like that. Yeah. So, um, so that's not a good measuring stick game. It's like not at you're all. telling me that Patrick Mahomes led offense is going to score thirteen points. Like that is an outlier, it is sir. Such an outlier. And so, because <laughs> didn't Love start like one or two games the year prior? Or at least one. Yeah, and he looked like horrible. Dude, he was. He was just like, yeah, this kid ain't ready. No. And so, and that's why, because like the whole narrative around him and stink, you know, he's like kind of around Green Bay for, you know, different reasons. But he pays attention to Green Bay. Oh yeah. And you know, he's he said it, and the whole national narrative around the Packers is like, yeah, the Packers are impressed with Jordan Love that he's taken a big step. And it's like, okay, is it a big step from, like, what you expect a late first-rounder to be to, like, a starter caliber? Or is it from what we saw two years ago, which was, like, horrible, to now he's, like, somewhat decent? (laughs) Right. Like, what, where, like, the step, the length may be the same, but the starting point is different. And so that's why I thought it was, and again, I didn't watch that game, so I can't really say, but I just find it interesting, the whole narrative around him was like has just you know significantly increased where it's like 
I don't know. I'm not so sure because I remember seeing him a couple of years ago, and that was mm-hmm. not that was a dude who can't play in the NFL right now. Well, after these last few minutes of the podcast, I hope it gave you more optimism about Rus- what Russell Wilson could be this season rather than what people say he won't be. Because the truth of the matter is, some of these quarterbacks in the NFL, they're not that good. And they're going to still have starting jobs this year. Yeah, a lot of and them are super okay. average. They're we, super average. We went average, down that man. list, and I'm just like, wow, average, average, average. Like a lot. That's a just, lot it's really hard to play quarterback in the NFL. Man. I, don't, I don't think people truly understand. And that's what brings me a little bit more optimism about how Russell Wilson will play this season. Because the truth of the matter is, when you have a guy who truly wants to understand you and you want to understand him, yeah. well, then guess what? They're going to create a world where it's going to be success or bust. Yep. And I think Russell Wilson is not going to do much outside of what he know he can do, but he's also going to maximize what yep. he can do. I like and I that. think that's what he truly, truly, truly has learned from last season. It's that, that's the key to being successful. We saw it with Brady and Belichick. It's that symbiotic relationship between head coach slash play caller and quarterback. Right. That ultimately is probably – that's like where the bait – that's where the floor begins – for a team that's going to win a Super Bowl. Look at Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes right now. Yeah. Is there a better duo in the NFL? No. No. And, like, you might argue Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor. Maybe. But I guarantee if you took if you take Joe Burrow out of Cincy, Cincy sucks again. Like, if even if you put, you know, a, a decent, if you put Derek Carr in Cincy, since, like, Derek Carr seems to be, like, the ultimate middle ground quarterback. Yeah. Since he still sucks. Yep. They probably win like eight games. But if you take Joe Burrow and put him in with – or just put him with a coach like Matt LaFleur, mm. it's a 15, 16, Dude, 17 that, win team. Oh, my God. Because Joe Burrow is just be insane. Crazy. But it's that, that dynamic, that symbiotic relationship is so important to your credit, which you just said, which was, you know, the buy-in, the creating of a culture, that it's winter bust. That's where I think – the most important part of the puzzle relies on when it comes to Sean Payton and Russ. Because they're on the same page, they want to win, and they want to do whatever it takes to be successful. I, I think that's what we're going to see. I think that's what we're going to see. But I just well. don't think we're talented enough to make the playoffs. So it's like in, in the AFC, yes, as deep as the AFC is too, I just think we're going to kind of look at the team and be like, yeah, we just need more pieces. Yeah, We, we, we got the foundation though. We it, just need more pieces. It's going to be just as simple. So with that being said, Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Producers Podcast. This has been John, the producer of Schlereth and Evans, and I am KJ, the producer of The Drive. It's been fun, and this has all been brought to you by DenverSports.com. You can also find this episode in the Denver Sports app or wherever you get your podcasts. Peace.